Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. Welcome to another episode of the Mark Groves Podcast. I am so excited. This week, I get to bring you a wonderful, amazing human being who I've had the pleasure of being on his podcast, I think like twice now. And we have just had the best conversations. I feel like we could just do Joe Rogan style three hour podcasts, but so I don't keep people waiting to hear who it is. It is none other than Mr. Jason Gaddis, the founder of the Relationship School. And his podcast is called the Smart Couple Podcast. So thanks, Jason, for joining me today. Yeah, dude, stoked to be here. You know, when we when we actually, you know, when I saw because for the listeners, Jason spoke at Masters Universe Summit, uh, a conference that I put on annually uh, that no longer is happening, but he spoke at it last year, and I knew some of your story. But our stories, when I heard you on stage, I was like, um, "Did we live a rebel like a, a double life here?" <laughs> you know, I felt <laughs> yeah. very related to. So, you know, just to welcome people into who you are and and what you do. Um, if you could just warm us up. Yeah, you got it, man. And I'm just finally psyched that you got this podcast rolling, dude. Um, it's so good to be on here with you and to be chatting with you. And I agree that we could rock a five-hour Joe Rogan-style deal. So maybe we should do that sometime. I think that would be a lot of fun. We'll do a Q&A caller. Call in. Callers. We have a caller online, too. Hell yeah. That would, that would be fun. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah. My name's Jason Gaddis, and I used to suck really hard at relationships. <laughs> and my the basic story is, you know, when I was young, I kind of got the message that my emotional sensitivity was not cool, uh, you know, growing up as a boy in a kind of sports environment. And so I buried that part of myself. And then I later would attract women into my life that were emotional and sensitive, of course. And I... Anytime they wanted to talk about the relationship, I would basically push them away and reject them and uh, make them wrong for actually wanting to have a conversation <laughs> about like emotions and needs and hey, I'm not that didn't feel good. And I was like, what do you what's your problem? And, and I just to talk about this stuff. Yeah, like, come on, it's supposed to be easy here. And so I would get away from a woman and I felt relief. So I convinced myself it was her. 
because I felt better when I wasn't around her anymore. Mm. And I repeated that pattern many times uh, for about 10 years in my 20s. And finally, one, uh, my last kind of failed relationship, I was just repeating the same old thing, but I was waking up a little bit. I was starting to get tired of this dynamic. And I was like, wait, I've been here before like so many times. What is the deal? And I started getting curious enough to ask myself some questions like, I wonder if this whole relationship challenge has got something to do with me. Mm. Um, hmm. uh, and then I, I just kind of woke up and was like, you know, I'm the one common denominator in all these failures. So uh, I can do something about that if that's true. And it turns out it was true. And I set to work, you know, 29. And um, I went to grad school. I enrolled in therapy and started studying myself and studying psychology. And, and you didn't mess around. You're like, yeah, I, just I want to learn more about relationships. I'm going to become a therapist. Right. That's basically what happened. Yeah, man. So that's kind wow. of the short of it. And then my wife and I met, uh, you know, shortly thereafter. And we got together, kind of, we had some nasty breakups and then eventually got married in 2007. So we've been married now 11 years. We have two amazing kids. And uh, yeah, we teach this stuff. She teaches it as well. She does. She's a couples therapist and um, she's mostly does it in her private practice. Mm. And then when I'm graced with her presence in one of our workshops, she shows up and just is like the secret weapon. <laughs> I feel the same way about my partner. It's like, oh, yeah, this is Yoda. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So in that push pull, because one thing that you said there that I think it will resonate with a lot of people is this idea that I feel better when I'm not around them. So it must be them because they're making me feel bad. Like yeah. they're the cause of this relational discord. And I might be choosing bad partners, but they're the bad side. Can you offer some insight into that or even the shift of, of, of what happened for you? Yeah. I mean, we can understand why people act that way, right? Like when I, cause when I got relief when I, when I went away and kind of got my own space, I did feel better. So that was a fact that was true. Yeah. But what I didn't realize was that that the bad feeling was going on inside of me. Uh, I was just carrying that wherever I went. It was just getting triggered by the partners you were choosing. Exactly. It just got woken up and activated when I was around them. And when I'd go away, it was better. The activation would go down. So I didn't have any awareness that the activation was inside of me and I had choice and I could, you know, learn how to feel it and experience it and investigate it. I didn't even know. I was clueless. What was the feeling if you were to identify it? Was it like that that feeling that was negative? The top level was irritation. I always felt really irritable. I called it my funk. She would ask like, hey, what's wrong? And I'd say, I'm fine. And then she might dig a little bit and I'd say, I'm fine with some defensiveness. And then she dig a little bit and I'd say, well, I'm just kind of in a funk. And that was my way of saying I'm in a bad mood or I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. And I had no idea that I was actually having a low grade trigger going on that had maybe been going on for days or weeks. And because I didn't have any tools, I would just go drinking uh, or I'd get high or I'd go climbing mm. or skiing. And that would take the edge off. And I, I would kind of get out in nature and I'd move my body and I'd feel a little better. I'd have kind of a state change. So that was my coping strategy and it kind of worked, uh, but then I'd get back into the relational dynamics and there it was again. And so I, did, I just did not even know and I didn't know how to deal with it. Well, interesting that when you went and did the things that were, well, I mean, outside of the drinking and the getting high, but the self-care <laughs> instead of numbing it when you were yeah. raising your energy and your, your well-being, 
did you find that then you're, because for me, that was for sure a truth that I, when I didn't even know that I wanted to run from feelings, I had a poor relationship to alcohol. You know, I would black out and drink to a level that I, you know, oh, yeah. where I, it was so now I have no desire to even get anywhere there because I'm not trying to replace anything or numb anything. Yeah. Right. So what was the shift? Like you were sitting, were you sitting in a parking lot or something? If I remember from your story. Yeah. Yeah. We were in a Whole Foods parking lot in her silver Subaru. <laughs> this is such a Colorado setting. It's like. Yeah, it was actually Utah, but same thing. Colorado and Utah are like almost identical. Oh, wow. That's where all great breakup stories come to life. So, yeah, man. So, what happened? Yeah. So, I'm I'm sitting there and and I just, uh, again, the pain wasn't, was high enough. Like, I change when I'm in pain, right? I don't do shit until I'm in a lot of pain. (laughs) And I was in a lot of pain. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Let it burn happen slowly. And I ha- I was drinking a little bit less. So I was experiencing the pain a little bit more. And, um, you know, I just, I was kind of uh, dreading breaking up with another good woman. And that felt bad. Uh, it felt bad that I didn't know what I was doing. I started to feel incompetent. Um, it felt bad that I was kind of running away. I couldn't, I hated breaking up with women. I hated, I, I couldn't even look them in the eye. You know, uh, I wanted her to break up with me because I was just too scared to be direct. What with was her. your strategy I, I for that? It. Yeah, I tried that one. That's a good one. Yeah, I tried it a lot. I would just sort of start disappearing in the relationship. I would behave in ways that weren't cool. Like I would start flirting with another woman. I would I would get some energy running with some other new person. Um, I would prioritize my guy friends. I wouldn't return calls. I you know I just flake out to hopefully get her fed up enough that she'd be like, dude, I'm done with this fucking guy. Um, but it never worked. I, she would hang around, uh, invariably. Man, some resilient um, ladies so that, in your life. Yeah, I know, man. I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking. <laughs> Those types of women follow me on Instagram now too. They're like, this guy won't text me back. He's <laughs> me. listen, ladies, you're about to get the answer. Right. There you go. Yeah. So, uh, you know, just, all of that culminated into, you know, the sharp end of the knife, finally, like getting just jabbed into me and, and saying, all right, I, it's me. Um, and she suggested I go to therapy and she was like, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think there's something going on with you. And it was the very first time I was even receptive to feedback uh, any woman gave me. And I was like, I, yeah, I think you're right. And I, I felt myself being all of a sudden just mm-hmm. really open to to looking at myself. What was different um, about her or like that moment or that, like what made you open to hear it? Because, you know, as we all sort of well, get to this place where someone finally says a thing that we may have heard a thousand times, but it all of a sudden clicks. Yeah. I'm not sure. It was definitely the timing of could have been maybe any woman, but this particular woman was four years older than me. She wanted to get married and have children and she was pretty mature. And I was not used to dating women that were more mm-hmm. mature than me. This was like a step in the right direction. Uh, And I just respected her, you know? Uh, There was other women that maybe I didn't respect as much and I respected her opinion. I respected how she lived her life. Uh, I liked her, you know, she was a good person. So there's something about that coupled with my readiness. So you go to therapy, you go back to school, you become a therapist. And then what happens? Like walk us through, what was the transformation? What was the greatest learnings you had? Because you did such an eloquent job in your uh, talk at Motu of just sort of expressing the pattern that you were living in, but then the transformation. Yeah. So I, I went to grad school. I moved to Boulder, Colorado, and I didn't know anybody. So I, was, I could kind of reinvent myself again. 
And as my mask was starting to come off, I was finding myself, the old pattern was still there. I started dating some woman in grad school that was definitely in the old pattern. Um, but I was, I was coming unglued. I was, you know, going to therapy and I was starting to feel my emotions for the first time since I was a little boy. And I was starting to cry and get access to my anger. And it was really cool and very uncomfortable. Uh, and then I was surrounded in a culture of graduate school and my classmates that were doing the same thing. So it was really safe. And I had amazing mentors and teachers to start helping me see my bullshit and my mask. And I started to see really that, Mark, I had a I had had a mask on most of my life. I had become a performer. Uh, I, I tried to perform and achieve to get you to like me. And I would drink to get people to like me. I would do extreme sports to get people to like me. And I, like one of my highest values was actually trying to fit in and belong and get people to like me. And underneath that was this really sensitive, um, emotional, empathic mm-hmm. young man who was just scared to be rejected and judged. And so I, I had this kind of split personality and graduate school and a lot of therapy, uh, it started to all that started to get revealed. And about that same time I met my, met my wife and we started dating and, you know, there's a lot of layers in there. Um, but one of the biggest insights to answer your question was to see that I was indeed wearing a mask and that there was another human being that was like dying to come out. To know that there's this deeper part of you. And I think for so many people, if not almost everybody, that we deny these parts of ourselves that didn't get rewarded, these needs that didn't get met, these, you know, as a kid, I was um, nicknamed Sensator by my older brother. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it is kind of funny to look back now because he was like, if you were a dinosaur walking around, you would have been Sensator. And I'm like, that's great. Because when you're nine, that's not, it wasn't funny for me. It was funny for him. No, not at all. And sure. I did recognize in my youth, in my like teenage years, I did hold on to my sensitivity for a while till I went through a breakup that I sort of equated sensitivity with heartbreak, you know, and mm. shut it down. And I started to then model what was more a traditional male. You know, I definitely was using humor and entertainment and, you know, drinking. But after that, that was when I really turned into more of like a man, you know, <laughs> the epitome, but I shut down that part of myself. And yesterday I was talking to a friend about this. I'd love to get your thoughts if this resonates in any way with you. But I realized too, that if you can develop enough skill sets in terms of like charisma and language, you can even falsify vulnerability. You know, you can even represent what to someone else is an incredibly vulnerable share, but to you, you're just doing the dance. Oh yeah. Yeah. In grad school, I started to learn that crying equals good and people and women like men who are crying and are sensitive. So I would sometimes, you know, uh, I mean, not too conscious of it, but would try to cry so that I could, you know, cause that was like a, a way to get acceptance. And in your work and now, cause now you have a school, you teach people this. So what is the first per- thing that you take people through? Uh, do you create a, I mean, I guess by the time they come to the relationship school, they've hit some sort of rock bottom. Yeah, they're they're in pain like I was, or they're just in longing, like intense longing around, you know, they that some part of them believes that there there can be a different experience in a love relationship and they're they're coming here to to learn how to manifest that for themselves. So one of the first things that that they they're bringing really and we just deepen it. 
is a sense of personal responsibility mm. that it's going to be up to you to get what you want. And um, you got to stop looking outside yourself or pointing the finger at other people or even your past. Like, let's take responsibility. And, and, and one of the things we do with that is just to learn how to do this stuff uh, because we're not taught in school how to do this as, as you and I have talked about. Great. Get an mm. education though. Then, and people come here to get that education and say, all right, finally, I want to learn what I didn't learn, what yeah should have been taught, whatever. I just want to learn it now. And I want, I don't want to just go to therapy and kind of talk about my problems. I actually want to learn a map and I want to uh, practice and I want to implement and I want to start to have this be a very important part of my life. Just like going to the gym where I, where I show up every day or every week and I kind of work my relational muscles and I get stronger. Why? Well, I, I mean, in a lot of uh, people don't think of, you know, I forget what the research number is, but there's something like by the time a couple goes and sees a therapist, it's like six years, you know, after the initial, you know, and I don't know the exact number, but that wouldn't be a shocking number, you know, and it's, I find what's so fascinating. I was sitting beside some guys at a coffee shop a couple of years ago, and I'll never forget listening to him. It was, he was telling his friend about something him and his partner were going through. And his friend's like, well, why don't you go see a therapist? And he said, well, things aren't that bad. And I was like, oh, God. You know, I'm sitting there like, yeah. <laughs> why? You know, as you said, you know, it takes great pain to change. And that's certainly a narrative that I've experienced for myself, too, is like I had to hit the I had to experience so much dissonance between who I thought I was and who I was actually being. And when that pain hit me of like, yeah. oh, I have actually been a douchebag. Fuck. Damn it. You know, and why do we wait when we could just, you know, like LeBron James has a coach, you know, he didn't, you know, he didn't mess around. He's still the best, yeah. you know, one of the best in the world. And it's, I really think of relationships in that way, but the cultural narrative is not that the narrative about even therapy, unless you're in New York where everyone has a therapist, even their dog does. But like for the most part, that's not something that we seek out till we have to. Yeah. And I think men are particularly because of our conditioning are particularly, um, uh, jammed up here. Um, you know, just layers and layers of like, it's so not okay to ask for help or be show any sign of vulnerability. Cause that's weak instead of strong. You know, it's just, it just runs deep. Uh, what do you think of that? So like, levels. cause I hear that a lot with couples and I'm going to speak in a heteronormative sense, woman and man. And the woman says, I want to go see a therapist. And the man goes, no, I don't want to. And, and inevitably, I mean, the relationship ends, <laughs> you know, inevitably. And how, what yeah. do you think is going on for the man in that? And what do you recommend? And that could be obviously gender switched. Of course, there are men who say, I, I'm just, it's more often true the other way. What do you recommend to the partner who's on the side, who's trying to get them to, or convince them to in that experience? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I get this one a lot. I'm sure you do too. Um, really one partner is kind of wanting to work on the relationship and the other one is, you know, mm -hmm. uh, digging their heels in. Yeah. I, it's really hard. And I, I ultimately, as we've talked about, I think we talked about this when I had you on the podcast, the, the person that's, let's say I'm the person who's wanting to go to therapy and you're not, I have to look at my unconscious investment in actually keeping things the way, the way they are. And often what you uncover when you work with a couple like this is you see that the woman in your example is scared of closeness and scared of intimacy. And she's invested in staying mm -hmm. with someone who can't meet her there because it's safe. She doesn't have to open up. 
you know, so that's one, one possibility that often goes on. So that, that if I'm the woman, I want to investigate that part of myself. That's like, God, why am I still bought into being with someone who's actually not really available and doesn't want to do the work with me? Like, why do I stay? Hmm, Why am I fighting for something that's not fighting for me? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And is that like a, do you find that that's often a pattern, you know, from, uh, from childhood, you know, the fighting for the love? Yeah. Yep. It's usually, you know, a little girl wanting dad's approval. He worked all the time. He was unavailable. He was alcoholic. And she's, um, in that old pattern of trying to, um, get his, earn his love and get his love and get him to notice her. And I'm here to say, you don't need to work that hard. You don't need to be in your childhood pattern. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's some of the people like need to do that for years. Like I did my pattern for 10 years before they sort of snap out of it. You know, you got to get a good decade into heartbreak and <laughs> yeah, not, as well. just, but if you're listening, you don't have to just take, let us, let us do the, the rock bottom for you. No, I was going to say, what was the other side of that um, pattern uh, with the, with the partners? Yeah. So the dude. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, fear, like I, the reason I was so resistant in my twenties was because I was scared of intimacy. Why was I scared of intimacy? Because when I was young, I felt rejected when I brought out my vulnerability, when I brought my sensitivity, my emotions, and that tender part of myself, I felt made fun of, belittled, squashed, shut down, rejected. And so why in the hell would I want to open up if that's what my experience was? I'm going to get blasted again. So no, thank you. Even though this person is completely different, even though this is a completely new setting and it's two decades later, I'm still, some part of me is afraid. And so guys will posture over that fear, being completely clueless that they're even scared. You know, they'll go climb mountains and go tackle like monsters and, you know, just slay dragons in the world, but they won't look in the mirror and be like, oh, actually the the biggest adventure of all is like facing myself Mm. and my own fears of intimacy. Facing my partner, Facing love, facing actually receiving Exactly, yeah, and being willing to like risk getting hurt again and finding out if that's going to kill me. Um, so I, I, I remember when I first started opening up, I felt, I literally felt terror because I thought I was going to die. I thought it was annihilation. I thought I was going to get just shamed. And, um, I kept having to kind of slowly crack my heart open and then like peek out and find out if I was going to get hurt and okay, I had a good experience. Cool. I can keep opening. Okay, cool. I can keep opening. It was a gradual process. For and, me. you know, you're in a therapy space, you know, with people who, you know, totally are sort of, you know, seeking the same thing. And of course, you know, we're all human. So they have their own triggers to that and, and da da da. But, you know, it's like to someone who is continuing to be surrounding themselves with people like you moved. And, you know, for me, when I moved to Vancouver, I all of a sudden wasn't under contract contracts I'd created agreements I'd created with people around me of how I was going to be and what I was going to be like. And when I moved, I felt zero. I didn't know I was doing this, but I was very drawn to moving, but I moved and I had very few people that I knew from home. So all of a sudden I didn't have to be who I'd constructed. And fuck, I was all of a sudden like, I can just be loving in me and not you know, tried to chase chicks because that was part of my character that I built that would get affirmation. And I felt all these different parts of me come out. And 
I had new people I could be around that wouldn't reject that. It had, but the first time I ever wrote a post, I remember male friends of mine who I love, but you know, they expected a different part of me. I'd created that with them. I can't blame them for that. They could have been a little more loving yeah. and accepting of a transformation in that time. But then, you know, I always look back and I see the ones who are most rejecting of my transformation were going through relational shit. And I, I yeah. part of me knew that at the time, but it didn't change the little boy in me who was like, but I'm sharing my greatest expression and you're shitting on it again. And, but it's not about them shitting on it. It's about the act of me sharing. And I started to learn that, but, but for people who try to transform who they are within a dynamic, right? Like if you wake up within a relationship and you start to want to emotionally communicate, then what, you know, or like, yeah, or around friends, yeah. like, what do you recommend to people like that? Yeah. I mean, it, it really does take, uh, you're going to, I'll just say that it's going, that transformation is going to be facilitated uh, a little easier if you at least get a couple people in your corner, mm -hmm. uh, new friends or a therapist or a coach, um, get someone that you can actually communicate and be this kind of tender, more vulnerable, authentic part of yourself and have that part of you come out. Right. But if you're in a relationship and you're starting to transform and the person's like clamping down, yeah, that makes it hard. But again, the more you surround yourself with people that are on the path growing like you are, eventually you'll leave that relationship if they want to keep you in that old Yeah, path. if they don't want to rise with you. If they don't want to open right. with you. And I, I mean, I guess my heart breaks a little bit because I know, you know, I look at like the heteronormative dynamic, but it could be in same sex too, of like the partner that doesn't want to open up, the more avoidant one, the one who's afraid when they lose that relationship, it's they they then want to fight for it. Yeah, absolutely. When it's on the line. Yeah. And I'm like, don't wait till they give you a I'm gone. Because by the time a woman in the research says, I'm out, she's out. Like she's, yeah. she's not coming back. You had yeah, your chance it would, it would to take fight a lot, early. right? Yeah. Like, you know, and that's and I know that goes both ways. So now that you've, you know, gone back, you know, you did your the therapy stuff, you did um, but you started the relationship school and I loved it in your talk at Motu where you said, you know, like uh, show of hands, did you get that course at school? And of course there was, I think there was like one person who probably went to a private school where they have a relationship course. Cause there's certainly not any public schools that teach that or, or um, you know, in the public system. So you created that. Yeah. Yeah. We're doing it. Um, so it's a class for adults, nine months long. It's a kind of two semester class on relationships, everything you need to know to dominate and succeed and open in a long-term relationship. And then we're also in uh, four high schools right now trying to uh, tackle how do we get this to young adults? Uh, because 70% of young adults are saying that they want relationship education. So we're saying, at least according to this five-year Harvard study. So we're uh, we're trying to tackle it from a number of different angles and, you know, parents obviously as well, trying to help parents like live into this in their home. And those students of ours that are parents uh, say that there's massive shifts that happen in their home yeah. because they, they finally have a way to talk to their adolescents and listen to their adolescents in a whole new way. And now, now their teenagers are like opening up to them and feeling safe again with them. So it's, it's cool what's happening. When we talk about you know, creating relationship education in a school. And let's say you're working with junior high or high school students, you know, anywhere from like 12 to 18, how, you know, because of course, part of that is looking at your family system and where you come from. And I find a lot of the times parents are so resistant to that because they think, well, I fucked up. 
then you're telling me that I'm a yeah. bad parent and they can't hear, which of course is part of their work is to reduce the defensiveness. So how do you tackle yeah. that family system analysis without like, are the courses integrating talks with parents and that kind of thing? Uh, I, eventually they will be, uh, but not yet. But I, my, my sort of philosophy on parents who are too stuck in their shame spiral and, and then posturing defensiveness on top of the shame is I can't help them. So I'm not trying to help mm-hmm. them. I want to help parents who are like, yeah, something's off here. And I, I want to model a different way to my young kids. Um, how do I do that? And that's ultimately who we're targeting. And the feedback thus far, I'm guessing, I mean. Yeah, super positive, yeah. really, really powerful. And, you know, lives are changing. And um, yeah, it's cool because we're, we're trying to change culture. You know, we, we want, we don't want to just like, hey, let's have this cool class in school. Wouldn't that be neat? It's like, no, no, like people in the world don't know how to work their shit out. They're acting like five-year-olds and we want to help grownups know how to work out their differences with other grownups. Like it's, it's to me, wouldn't that be a powerful way uh, that this world could change is if more, there were more mature adults that were relationally competent that could actually listen until other people felt understood and had other people feel seen and safe and like, wow, our, I think our world would dramatically change. I think it's so fucked up that we don't know how to handle a differing opinion, which, hey, I'm saying that about my younger self, but that when we have someone who has a different opinion, the only way we know how to do that is to be their enemy. Like we are so afraid of someone disagreeing with us, including our partner. We do it on a global scale, but including our partner is like, you didn't like what I did. Oh, you know, like listen to them. Like I find when I listen to my partner and actually hear the feedback she gives me, when I actually developed that muscle, which took a lot of time to put my ego aside and actually hear like what she's telling me is how to be a better fucking person, like how to be a better partner. And that I, you know, I'm sure as you, as you understand, it was like, I could feel parts of me dying, the parts that were addicted to defending the low self-worth, the lack of feeling like I was worthy. And so when I got feedback, I saw it as criticism and not as constructive um, invitation for me to be better. Yeah. Yeah. But it's awesome that you made that transformation. And that's, to me, that's one of the biggest shifts a human being can make because we, we have, we have some challenges as human beings, which is like our mammalian brain really, and our reptilian brain that keep us from what we claim we want. And uh, if, if you don't know how to work with the animal inside of you, you've got an uphill battle in relationship to other people because other people are the most threatening things, not saber tooth tigers and bears and lions and stuff. It's other human beings. And so again, like uh, we're teaching people how to deal with their own nervous system and their brain and how it works and the activation. Cause that's we're, again, we're not, there's no education that we just act like assholes. We just act, <laughs> we just shut down. Talkers. We just blame people. Right. We're, we're kind of yeah. young. Yeah. And, and underdeveloped animals. And so uh, it, it takes a lot of, uh, attention and awareness to become a grown-up in the context of relationships. So what's the first part of that? Outside of the awareness of biology and nervous system, vagal term, you know, all that stuff that we know our bodies do when we're under threat. And I know in Gottman's research, they talk about couples in conflict who aren't actually fighting. Their bodies are physiologically just sitting beside each other, chilling. They're at, like, it's like they're sitting at a zoo with no glass between them and a tiger, you know? So that's, but people don't recognize the, the, the actual health cost of unresolved conflict that 
long term, your body can't fight disease because you're, you're, you know, your body's not like I should digest this roast beef. It's like we got to get the fuck out of here, even though you're sitting there. Yeah. I mean, when our sympathetic arousal goes up, the more it goes up and the more we go outside of our, what I call the window of presence and availability, the other three parts of our system start to shut down, our reproduction, our digestion, and our immune system. They literally start to shut down so that we could, because these resources are needed elsewhere. And if you're in a relationship where you're experiencing chronic stress, you're going to turn into an old person sooner and you're going to have a lot of health challenges sooner and you're going to, it's not going to save you. So again, like, uh, man, the slow cost of stress on your body is going to take a toll. And again, one of the biggest stressors in our life is other human beings. So why not learn how to work your shit out? It's crazy too that like in that we don't recognize that in school we need to learn this stuff because that will determine more than the fucking Pythagorean theorem. Like you will probably never use the Pythagorean theorem again. But if you learn how to have turn conflict into intimacy, (laughs) I did have a mathematician though. I wrote that once and a mathematician said, actually the Pythagorean theorem has a lot to do with relationships and I fell asleep. I don't know what else he said, but the, if he's listening, <laughs> you just kind of pulled that one out of your ass. That's pretty awesome. The, I, I barely oh, man, remember that's that. That's the only one, one I remember. Plus B squared equals C squared. <laughs> just in case I ever needed to know the other side of a triangle, the length. Right. So I love that the window of presence and availability was that. I love that. Yeah. So it's this window yeah. where you are still open. So you're in conflict mm-hmm. because I want people who are listening to at least get a first step in understanding okay, I can be reactive sometimes or I shut down or I'm defensive or critical or whatever the response is. So they they feel their, so is the first step they feel their body respond? I mean, yeah, we we all have to get good at being with our own activation. So that's why I love mindfulness and meditation is like, can you just be with your own upset? Because most of us uh, are medicating over that or we were taught to not be with our upset or, or the parents couldn't be with our upset. So we didn't even learn how to be with our own upset. So we're, we have these old habits of not being with our emotions or our sensations in our body. And we just react on top of that. So yeah, one of the first steps is like, can I, can I just take a 10 breaths and be here and breathe into the sensation and, and find out again, if it's going to kill me, okay, it's not, all right, this is not so bad. It's just, I'm just mad. I'm hurt. I'm scared. And then we can eventually in five minutes or five hours turn toward our partner uh, who was threatening a minute ago and actually have a somewhat intelligent conversation because we're now more in the front part of our brain. So how do you recommend people go from, because the meditation part, so practice meditation so you can practice observing yourself. And then, and then what's the next step of developing the skill set? Well, man, there's so many I could say, but you know, I have to learn how to take responsibility again for that experience. Mm -hmm. So let's say I'm, I'm just feeling some like major agitation and I, I sit with it for five minutes before saying anything and I go to the other room and I just breathe. Um, I might find out like, oh, I'm just hurt. Okay. So I can take responsibility for that hurt. And then I can go back upstairs or in the other room and tell my partner, you know what, honey, I just want to take responsibility here that I'm just hurt. And, you know, you didn't see that vulnerable side. You saw my anger um, and I kind of lashed out there. So now I can begin to take responsibility. Now, if I can't do that, uh, because I'm still too activated, I might have a contract with my partner in agreement ahead of time that they can help me by listening to me until I feel understood. Or 
through a bottom-up process, uh, which the nervous system likes, which is coming close to me and being kind of a safe presence or putting their hand on my leg or hand on my shoulder, because that will tell my scared animal that it's okay. And I don't, I don't need to freak out here. So we can take a top-down process, which is, you know, using our cognition, our words, or we can do a bottom-up process and, and actually just touch the body or uh, be in proximity like another safe creature and send the other person a message that I'm safe. It's okay. Um, so either one of these, we can, we can start to soften and calm down the situation. And I'm going to be committed to understanding my partner until they feel understood and then taking responsibility for my part. Yes, I raised my voice. Yes, I was an asshole. Totally. And I can see how that hurt you. I can see how that scared you. And then I would validate their feelings. Um, it makes sense you feel that way because I was a jerk. Um, these are all tools. Mm-hmm. Again, we teach at the relationship school that I'm sure you teach as well that just help calm down a situation. But we want to uh, repair as soon as possible. We're all going to have ruptures. Rupture is not the issue. There's always going to be conflict. There's always going to be ruptures that happen in a partnership. It's how do you deal? And smart couples deal quickly and they know how to repair quickly because again, the longer you wait, the more stress you're carrying around, the more allostatic load you're carrying in your body. Uh, lots, lots of cortisol. It's not good for you. Mm. And if people come from, because I find there's often a pattern that, and I, I did want to touch on this, so it's perfectly designed, not even planned. The idea that when we are we grew up in a home that's high conflict, when we're so used to having an right. activated system that when someone is actually present, like you, I, I've never thought of that, like sitting beside you and just putting your hand on your leg, but you're so used to having an activated system when someone even offers that sense of calm and peace, you can't trust it. And, yeah. and you just might equate love with conflict or, or torment. And, yeah. and so what do you have to say to that? Well, if, if I'm in a relationship with a person like that, we're going to have a lot of conversations about it, right? If I'm in a mutual relationship where you're curious about me and how I operate and you want to learn how to handle me when I'm under stress and I want to learn how to handle you when you're under stress, that's mutual. So if I'm in a mutual relationship, then I'm, I'm going to care actually about your well-being and I'm going to care that certain actions of mine scare you and they upset you. And so I'm going to do my best to alleviate that behavior, change it, tweak it, modify it. Uh, and I'm going to find out through curiosity, what works for you. There's got to be something that calms your scared animal down. And I, it's like a puzzle and I'm going to figure out the puzzle so that you can feel better when we're under stress. Mm -hmm. And it's my job as your partner to help you and your job to help me figure that out. Like we we're a team and we do that together to figure out what works for us. And it's going to be different for every uh, human relationship because they're like fingerprints, no two relationships the same. So we have to find out what works for us. I find that, you know, maybe for the people listening, if I was 25-year-old Mark listening to you right now, I don't know that I would understand that a relationship is two people side by side facing forward. You know, I was, you know, I resonate a lot with what you said about handling conflict. When I was young, I avoided all the hard conversations. I mean, I swept them under the carpet and then I definitely tripped on those things, you know, eventually. And yeah. you know, I remember looking at a rose, of course, because I was skilled at buying the rose for every month of anniversary or whatever in high school. And I remember looking at a rose that I bought my girlfriend and it was dying. And I remember thinking to myself, like, just like our relationship. And I didn't say anything. I remember thinking to myself, like, it'll work itself out. It doesn't. It doesn't actually. It did not. And, but that was how I handled conflict is I was like, 
you know, I, I realized when I went through my sort of rock bottom of relationship that I avoided every hard conversation. That was how I got there. Oh, yeah. And so I was like, I will have every hard conversation. That was a rule I made that I didn't like that rule, but I had to because I knew. You know, I think about people listening and I'm like, man, if if anyone started a relationship not from that place, because I think so many people who, let's say they're 50 or 40 or whatever listening, got married at 21 or 20 or 25, and they didn't think, you know, their relationship was not based on agreements of growth and use. What was the word? A mature or a, what was the, a mutuality, mutuality where it was like that, like each other's needs and repairing is not an agreement and priority of the relationship because they got married because they thought they had to, or it was the next logical step. Like, man, that, I, do you have anything to say yep. to that? Cause that part, I just, I feel so much for those people because there's such a fear of ending a relationship with someone who doesn't want to now transform that marriage. You know, of course, relationships change over time, but the other person is terrified of that depth, which is usually a man in his fifties, of course, because he wasn't socialized for that. So, yeah, what do you sure. have to say to that? I keep, I keep. Putting yeah, it on I the mean, spot with look. If, what do you have to say to that? No, Jake? it's great. If if you're a, <laughs> uh, I was just having a laugh about when you were saying um, your former self, like, dude, when you were twenty three and I was twenty three, we could have like hung out and had a bunch of beer together and just checked out. Yeah, we would have talked about how annoying our girlfriend. Totally. She wants to talk. <laughs> oh my god, what's her fucking problem? I'm thinking about dating someone else. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So like, let's say you're yeah 50 and you're in a dead marriage and you're waking up to that. That's really good news. Like you have 50 more years potentially of your life, uh, left like to make a difference and to like do something different here and to actually experience love and to, to experience being met and seen. And it might not involve this person you're with. And so it might require that you have the courage to leave that relationship. And, and you won't unless you value yourself and you will not unless you see, see that there's more advantages to leaving than disadvantages. You're not going to mm-hmm. do it um, because some people, like you said, are too afraid and they would rather be miserable, but in a relationship than be alone and empowered. It's not it, like to hear that cognitively, it's like, that's fucked. But I get it. And I have so much love to that person because they're still living under the, and I used to, so I this isn't a judgment. This is just an observation. They're still living under the belief that if I'm in a relationship, it validates I'm worthy of being chosen. And if I'm not, then my worth is gone. No, you choosing yourself is your worth. It, it breaks my heart to see that. You know, it breaks my heart. And I also know the other person on the other side of that relationship who might not want to change and transform might find, might wake up because you left them. Exactly. And that, that could be their, their golden ticket to their life because they, oh. they were finally hit the pain and their face is on the mat and they're like, holy shit, I don't want to, I don't want to live like this. And then they all of a sudden get their shit together and they have you to thank because you left them. Uh, and they, and you will both find more aligned relationships. And if, if it's not together, and becomes more aligned, it will be with someone else who's more aligned. Man, that one, that one gets my goat. Now, and it's, it's like, I see so many people trapped in relationships because they think they have to be in them, but then they also don't have the really hard conversations to invite that relationship to grow. So as you said, they stay stuck in their suffering, Yeah. but they never actually step towards either. And then they project it on their partner and blame them for not having emotional connection, even though they're not emotionally connected to themselves. 
Yeah. And look, I get it. I, I understand why you don't want to leave and why it's so scary. Cause again, we're yeah. social mammals. We don't like being alone. It's not good for our health to be alone and miserable off living alone and like outcast from our community. No one likes that. All right. We all want to belong. And, and most of us, whether we want polyamory or monogamy, most of us want a partner and, and feel really known by at least one or two people. And so uh, I get it. And, and staying in a place of not feeling known, you got to understand that the health toll that really takes on you. And there's 7 billion people on the planet. You're going to find someone else. There's, there's lots of people out there. You don't even have to be good at math to figure that out. Right. You could be really bad at math and you can come up with a high number. <laughs> like no matter, even if you use the Pythagorean theorem there, you, you will. I don't know if it works. Even there, the Pythagorean but, theorem yeah, will help you here. Yeah, even there. That's Dude, a triangle. nice bridge. You, you tied right. it in. So math actually does have something to do with relationships. That guy is listening right now. He's like, yeah, yes. Nice. So what about, um, because I also have met quite a few people here, a lot of people who end up alone. You know, they get divorced in their 40s, 50s, 30s, whatever. And then they don't allow themselves back into relationship. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's okay. They don't, you know, you're, you're scared or you don't want to like, it's okay. I think like if you don't want to do that and uh, it's your prerogative, like I don't, I don't have a lot of agenda here for people that you should uh, partner. It's not, it's not for everybody, but I, I will say that you're up against your biology, which states that you're a pack social animal creature and you like being around people. So if that's true, you might consider um, learning a lot about yourself in the context of relationships because I think you're going to have a better life. Yeah, I had a conversation with um, a bunch of uh, women who were in their 60s and 70s. And some of them were married, but unhappily married, and the others were divorced. And it was really fascinating just to get their perspective because they grew up with more of the patriarchal messaging. And of course, that still exists, but you know, major back then. Mm -hmm. And they were saying, well, I just see being alone much easier. Like, I don't want to have to have sex yeah. with my partner. I don't want to take care of him and his fucking needs. And, you know, he just gets to work and come home and sit on a couch. And then I have to, you know, and I was like, wow, you know, like I don't, I didn't grow up with that messaging, um, which is obviously a blessing. But at the same time, I'm like, man, there is such a reconstruction of an experience there that could transform and you could have a really beautiful experience with relationship. But how do people even get out of, cause you know, you hear people in their twenties, thirties say the exact same type of thing. Like a oh, fucking relationships are just too much. Yeah. And where do you shift that? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a really good point because some people actually, plenty of people think that way. Like human beings are complicated. We are oh, very God. difficult to deal with. Um, so you have a point person, whoever's saying that you have a point. It's valid. Angry, divorced lady. Um, that's what. But in terms of like easier, uh, that's where I that's where I might get into an argument with you. Um, and do you want to be that person on your deathbed that's like, yeah, I'm sweet. Give me a high five because I I just sort of took the easy way out. I I wanted what was easy regarding relationships, so I just stayed alone. And then no one's there to support you in your deathbed. Like uh, anyway, um, I also think you're probably contradicting yourself, person out there, uh, because you're again a social mammal. And I'm, I guarantee you, you have lots of relationships. You have lots of friends, family, whoever that um, cares about you a little bit, and you probably care about them a little bit. So um, you're just you're just um, avoiding that next step of deepening 
with all of those relationships because you want what's easy because all of us can have easy, like the honeymoon phase is easy for everybody. Any, anyone can win at that. Not everybody can win at depth and, and get that feeling of being met uh, by another person is incredible, right? And you only get that if you do the work and you actually put a little effort in. I think there's something so empowering about taking what was the definition of relationship that these lovely ladies who were talking to me um, have experienced and redefining it in an empowering way that they choose rather than following the systemic nature that they were taught. And like actually stepping in as, you know what, that isn't the type of relationship I wanted, but now I want to create one. And I, there's for sure a man out there or a woman looking for a similar thing who's waiting for you to show up when you decide to get out of your own way. Absolutely. You know, in the context of, because I find often, especially in, because there's so much more, although the research does not show that people today have more sex than previous generations. And I know that mind blows people. It's like, what do you mean? For sure, there's more of a hookup culture today than there ever was. No, people just secretly banged back in the day. Now it's just more outward. You know, it's more public. I think people who are having right. sex are having a lot of sex now, you know, but the the number of partners is actually less than um, from the 70s, which I thought was very hmm. fascinating. Although you can argue that all sex uh, partner research when it's self-reported is probably exaggerated by males and <laughs> reduced by oh, women, definitely. right? And, but we're in an open time. So they would buy, you would imagine, be more open to sharing how many partners they had today. But with sexual availability and just the that sort of concept, I was thinking, you know, like people are either intimate and can experience sexual connection or build friendships that don't have that. Like a lot of people will find freedom in the sexual connection, but not be able to integrate both in a connective, deep relationship. Yeah, agreed. And in this concept, because I find this idea of like Tinder's just for hookups, Bumble's just for, and I'm like, no, it isn't. It's for whatever you use it for. Yeah, that's right. Do you work with a lot of people on dating? Not so much, man. I, 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 um, I get requests for that and I often steer people elsewhere because I'm, I feel so out of that game. Uh, I have that really simplistic mm -hmm. advice, like just be yourself, um, which I agree with, but uh, I, I just don't, I can't grok. You know, I, I was dating my wife before all these apps came out and it's a different world now. So I, I feel, you know, not that useful until they get out of the honeymoon phase. Then it's like game on. Yeah. Isn't that because of course, what you were saying before, anyone can crush the first six months of their relationship, even the first year and yeah, a half, two totally. years. But then when you actually finally see that your princess farts and the king, you know, he's, yeah, doesn't, he's not he like, his king. He's all, all over the, the seat, the toilet seat. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, that he's a, a, a messed up human being just like you are. And then all of a sudden you see the mirror of your lack of development and you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> you know, and I think you're right. It is so humbling. And I know that through partnership with Kylie, I've been able to retrain my nervous system. You know, there was times when we get in conflict when we first started dating. We've been together almost three years now. And when we first started dating, I remember we'd get in conflict and I would just like lay there in the bed, not being able to formulate a word mm -hmm. yet take me like 15 minutes to like calm my nervous system. And then I would just try, you know, like I think I feel, and it was so great to have someone who was also doing that exact same practice uh -huh. because she would shut down too. And I'd be like, what do you need? And she's like, I don't have any needs. I go, like, oh God, like, yeah. let's be honest. We're going to have a talk. 
but be cool to get, see a video of you guys back in the day, right? Trying to tr- trying oh to gosh, fight in that first little bit when you first started learning how. Well, and then seeing like how much safety and how fast we move through the process now. Mm-hmm. You know, like yesterday I said I was reactive and said something, and immediately I was like, "But I didn't do that well," and I was like, "I'm so sorry." And she was like, yeah, you didn't do that well. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, thank you. Thank you. She's like, would you like to try again? And I was like, yes, I, yes, I would. And that's how fast it moves. But you can always feel the connection within those conversations. The like laying down of the armor and saying, mm, I didn't do that good. Yeah. is like such a vulnerable invitation. Oh, yeah. So for you, what's next, man? Because you're like entering schools, you're teaching all this stuff, you're transforming people. Yeah. Well, we're going to continue to grow the school and, uh, you know, books at some point are on the way here and all kinds of fun stuff. Hopefully some collaboration with you at some point, um, you know, we'll get to play again together. Yeah. Changing the world. Are you you doing any live events? You doing any tours? I know you did one out in Vancouver when you're out here. Are you doing any other? I'm teaching at uh, Kerpalu in March on conflict. Kerpalu is one of those kind of spiritual new age centers. It's pretty sweet in Massachusetts. Uh, that's going down and then we'll have our spring workshop sometime in April or May. And, um, we start a new round of the relationship school in January, uh, for anyone that's interested, they can check us out for that. Um, we start in late January and we go through October. That's the nine month, um, school. Oh, wow. And so by the end of that, are they also teaching relationships usually? Yeah. So what happens is they'll take the course, the nine month course and just get rocked and be like, oh my God. Um, okay. My life's different. And one of the biggest things- <laughs> I do know quite a few graduates, by the way, they'll message me often just from being on uh, your podcast yeah. and and just rave about how great your program oh, is. Cool. So I just want to put that out there that I have only heard the most raving reviews. Right on. Yeah. It's pretty stellar yeah. and it's hard. I'm not going to lie. It's It's super intense. It's demanding. It's going to um, push you to your edges. So it's it's uh, like a rite of passage of sorts. And people graduate and they, they have a choice. Some people want to stay involved in our orbit. Uh, other people want to transition to the next program, which is to become a relationship coach. So we're now training people to be relationship coaches. We've certified 21 people to be relationship coaches now. And so we're also giving people careers. And um, any of okay. you natural born helpers out there that, that love to help people and have thought of becoming a coach, then... Uh, we offer that as well. You are formally empathic without boundaries or codependent. You can turn that into a superpower and help people. Exactly. And get paid for it. Right? Like get paid. I realized that I just turned my codependency into work and found some boundaries around it. So now I <laughs> actually have a healthy relationship with people. Dude, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you've got a new round coming in the end of January. Where else? And I want to say... Thank you so much for being on today. Um, I We are going to do, once we get feedback from this one, I can't wait. For it. So people, please write in, let us know what other subjects we'd like you'd like us to jam on with uh, Jason because he's an endless resource. You, The Smart Couple podcast is stellar. It's amazing. And you have such a diverse uh, amount of guests, like doing so many different things. And I just really appreciate the work you're doing. I mean, it's you're such a good guy. You know, it's like I met you and I was like, this guy's going to be my homie. He doesn't even know if I have to stalk him <laughs> into a friendship. It's going to happen. So yeah, thanks, I Steve. feel like this is successful stalking. Yeah. Yeah. And I. You didn't I, know I did it. <laughs> I, dude, that was stealth, bro. <laughs> I thought I was stalking you, actually. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. I, I appreciate all that that uh, care and kind words. Uh, it's been totally fun getting to know you better and playing with you and jamming with you and um, supporting your people. And and definitely come check out Mark's episodes on The Smart Couple because we they've they're some of our most popular episodes because um, we we get into it and you just have a, a really fun way of talking about love and connection thanks man well um we will definitely link out your podcast where else can people find you so we'll we'll also link out to your school sorry so yeah what is it no worries relationshipschool.net soon to be.com but net for now way to get that one like yeah and and that'll uh that's you can find pretty much everything there the podcast uh the blog uh our programs products things like that Sweet. And the Smart Couple podcast, and you're doing a round of recruiting. This will be coming out mid-January. So when you guys are listening to this, you will have a chance to go check out a site and register for the end of January to get beginning on your personal journey of becoming a relational master ninja Yoda of your own. That's right. And you do need to apply. So that'll be your first step. Um, we, we interview everybody that comes in. So that's amazing, man. Well, thanks so much for being on today. I appreciate you. Yeah, you got it, Mark. I appreciate you. Thanks for doing the good work out there uh, with everybody's hearts and souls and connections. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If this episode resonated with you, one of the best ways to support the show is to go subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any more. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it, or share the episode with your community on Instagram or whatever social place you like to hang out. This helps get it into more people's ears, and I'm so grateful for your support, always. Thanks again for tuning in. Much love.